Hello, everyone, and welcome, fellow piercers and piercing enthusiasts, to Real Talk, a piercing podcast from the minds of piercing professionals on the body modification industry and culture. Each episode, we will center on a common theme with a guest. We will cover topics including things such as piercing methods, industry topics, jewelry, and trends. I'm your host, Will Von Doom, a professional body piercer and proud member of the Association of Professional Piercers. So let's get straight to the point and dive into this week's topic. Welcome back, everyone. In this week's episode, I wanted to take some time to discuss a topic that seems to be everyone's favorite lately, gold body jewelry. There are many companies out there that are established and make some breathtaking pieces, but there are new up-and-comers entering the market and making a name for themselves. In this episode, we sit down with the owner and lead jewelry maker of other couture jewelry, Mike Knight. Based in Los Angeles, Mike hand creates unique body jewelry in a small studio that is used all across the country at high-end studios. We take some time to talk about current trends in gold body jewelry, some of our favorite jewelry lines, and what it takes to make all those wonderful golden smiles. So without further ado, listen in as we discuss what it takes to become an up-and-coming Midas in the gold body jewelry industry. So I'm sitting down today with my good friend, Mike Knight. He is an up-and-coming goldsmith with his own company. So I'm just going to let Mike go ahead and just explain a little bit about himself and a little bit about its history. So go ahead, Mike. Okay, so I, my name's Mike, as Will said. I started making gold jewelry about six, seven years ago, but predominantly at the time was mainly focused on uh, traditional jewelry, making engagement rings, necklaces, stuff like that. And over a few years after a while, people started asking, because I used to be a body piercer, started hitting me up asking like, oh, can you do that design you did, but make it as a threaded end? And eventually I said, fuck it, why not? So I started like make, messing around with body jewelry more and more and got to the point today where the main focus of my work is body jewelry, but still, I still make fine jewelry, engagement rings, and as of late, a lot of gold teeth. Rad. So what is the name of your company though, Mike? Oh, the name of the company is Other Couture Fine Jewelry or Other Couture Jewelry. Sorry. So the reason why I wanted to have you on the show this week is because I wanted to touch down on a few topics that a lot of piercers actually don't realize or don't want to admit that they don't know the answer for. We use your products every single day. We use gold in almost everything we do, or at least we want to use gold in everything that we do. Why don't you go ahead and tell us are some of the challenges you face as an up-and-coming gold company when there's already such well-established in the industry? Well, the big thing for me that I've tried to focus on is doing things differently, or well, not really even focusing on making like basics. Like the big things that people sell a lot of are seam rings, like thread, just like four prong threadless ends, like the basics, like the money makers. And my approach is that I'm not going to make any of those. So the problem I'm going to run into there is it's going to probably hold me back a little bit in being able to get more and more stockists because I'm focusing more on more intricate pieces or more expensive pieces, stuff that's going to be more so case candy than it's going to move quickly. That also, maybe one day I'll add basics and stuff to my line, but as of now, I'm the only person working in the workshop. It's just me 
my girlfriend answers emails and handles phone calls and stuff like that as well. But for the time being, it would just be impractical for me to sit there and be like, I'm going to try to compete with an Atometal. I can't compete with the amount of production for seam rings like the larger companies can. Like they have a whole room of people sitting there just making seam rings all day. And that's, that's awesome. I can't do that. If I was to start focusing and trying to make more basics, I would spend entire days just making large seam ring orders for shops as opposed to focusing on the more time consuming pieces. Like the the closest thing to seam rings I do right now are the micro pave seam rings. Those aside from coiling and cutting the wire, it takes about an hour and a half to make each seam ring. <laughs> just setting the stone, well just setting the stones at least because they're not cast and the stone settings are actually hand cut for each one. Right. And I can understand that too. I mean, there, there are already some very well-established companies going ahead and making those, let's just call them moneymaker pieces. The one, two, four millimeter prong set guys and and everything like that. I do like your pieces quite a bit, especially because they're so unique. You've brought pieces that are extremely close to my heart. My favorite piece that I've ever seen you done has been the tiny itty bitty casket oh, yeah. with the rough diamond. That was in it. actually the piece that started me making uh, body jewelry. Was I a good friend of mine had hit me up wanting a super super like gothicy dark but antique styled engagement ring. And back in the 1920s, like coffin cut stones have existed forever, but back in the 1920s there was a stone cut that was very similar in shape to a coffin called a kite cut, and it's one of my personal favorites. And we had hit me up with his ideas for this ring. I was like, why don't we get the side stones instead of doing like baguettes or um, other stones that accentuate like the tapering down shape. Let's get little stone, little uh, stones cut in the shape of coffins. And so I got the, uh, I think, what stones did we use? We used a rubellite for his uh, side stones cut in little big coffins. And that was the first one that someone hit me up and like, can you make those as like a threadless end? And I was like, I can. It's going to take forever because each one is getting cut specifically for me. <laughs> and the turnaround is going to be atrocious. Yeah, let's do it. And so I started uh, working out, getting more of them made. And then I ended up striking up like a contract with a uh, diamond cutter in New York and was able to get uh, mass quantities of black diamonds cut in that shape. And then I'm slowly like moved to being able to get them cut in CZs and stuff like that. But it's kind of slow moving when you like design a cut and try to get stuff made. So you have them on hand as opposed to having to wait three weeks each time getting one cut. Well, I can understand that too. Just, you know, starting out as a smaller company, not knowing that those are going to be hurdles that you're going to have to jump in order to get to the end project. But I, I will say those are definitely been some of my favorite pieces that you've come out with. As you were saying, when it comes to being a smaller scale, and there's nothing wrong with being a one-man, well, two, two-person two team technically with your partner helping you. Yeah. When it comes to that, I think a lot of people are appreciating the fact that it is made by you, made by your hands. It may take a little bit of extra time, but the product that they're getting is a lot more unique and it has a lot more what I'm going to just call, you know, a lot more soul into the piece as opposed to one that's just kind of like pumped along the line. Yeah. With that being said, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the the mass produced pieces because we need those. Exactly. But it's also nice to have smaller pieces that are made by different people that allow us to have different ideas as well. Exactly. That's well, like even in the in the fine jewelry world, like for a bulk, there's so many things that are just mass produced 
through a wholesalers like and even we use a lot of that stuff in our industry as well like with a lot of the lar- with a lot of the larger companies like it's just not productive or worth the time for us to mass produce our own four prong settings in a lot of cases like i'm there are companies that do there are companies that don't but if someone comes to me wanting like a standard set of quarter carat diamond earrings i'm not going to hand fabricate the piece unless they specifically want to go that route and they'll be it'll cost way more. And I usually give them the option of being like, okay, well, we could fully handcraft this piece in house, or we could just use a cast produced piece and make this piece of jewelry and you'll have it in a week and it'll cost this much, or we can take eight weeks to make it and it's going to cost astronomically a lot. And I think you being a body piercer before helps you out with that because we're, I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. When it comes to piercers, being honest is the difference between a good piercer and a great piercer. So like by allowing clients know that you will do it and don't have a problem doing it. But in the long run, it actually may wind up, you know, costing you a little bit more or or going along those lines is is a pretty important thing to tell to potential customers. Exactly. Especially when it comes down to stuff, something that maybe end up being sentimental or hold held onto for a long time. You're like, oh, well, we can do it this way and it's completely hand fabricated and will last you a lifetime. Or we can just do a cast one, which will last you a lifetime as well. But it's just, there's not as much love and work put into it. It's literally just spit out by a couple different machines down the line and then handed to me. And you know, the, the bigger jewelry companies, like they, they hand set things too. They use machines too. It's something they do. But just to just to clarify, we're talking about when you need the setting and you order it from like a like your wholesale company, mm-hmm. right? Okay, cool. Just making sure that I'm differentiating that for people and yeah. also for our listeners. Would you like to see yourself growing in the future to a little bit of a bigger company? Maybe adding like one or two more people to your staff? Oh, or, would, or do you enjoy being like a smaller one? I enjoy it. I mean, it definitely has its stresses just because to stay profitable or just to keep my bills paid, I have to produce a lot of work to do so because the cost of living in L.A. is atrocious. But um, Oh, yeah. So it's like I am always constantly busy and then it goes through waves of being like, oh, I need to hire somebody and then I'll have another I'll have a month that's not as busy. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I didn't hire someone last month because then I'd be like, all right, well, you got to go where I can't pay my rent. So. Now starting to get to that point where I do want it to grow and I do want it to be bigger so that I can focus more on designs and stuff that I would like to do or like to bring out, but I just can't divide enough time to be able to do it. Like there's a lot of stuff involving one-off stone shapes and stuff like that, that just sourcing the material and meeting up with cutters and setting up contracts to be able to produce a run of a certain amount of a specific one-of-a-kind gym cut it's going to be take up time that i should be doing orders so it's going to have to grow to be able to do what i want to do and create a lot of the stuff that i want to create and i can understand that too as a former owner my business classy body art closed that down and moved down to the south it was just me and it was just my wife it was still that that two-person dynamic. And I think the thing personally that I always had a, a problem with is when I went out of town or something similar to that, I had to have someone that I absolutely 100% could trust because your name is attached to it because exactly. it is your business. I feel like that might be a little bit harder to find with with a jeweler, but 
I mean, that's not my cup of tea, so I'm not really sure. Well, it's like the problem that I've run into is like I'm starting to, as things get bigger and more and larger, I'm starting to embrace outsourcing a little more because for the longest time I was so against it. I was just like, no, everything has to be made specifically by me. Then the more clients and larger orders I get, the more I start realizing like, oh, maybe it's okay to like use an outsource company to do some of this stuff. And basically with outsource companies, they're basically just outsourcing one part of my job to somebody else. And it's a little bit easier on my end than hiring somebody because then I don't have to deal with like the tax and all the fun stuff that comes along with having an actual employee on the books. Right. there's a few outsource houses that I've used on occasion. And the problem with outsource houses is finding some that are going to put out the quality that of work that you can do or that are that you want your work to be. And also can still maintain like the price that you're selling at or the price that you've sold it at. Like they're, they're outsource companies that charge astronomically high rates, but they are, you're getting what you're paying for. It's really high quality work, but then it wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to wholesale it within the industry. I'd have to just go straight retail. So it's always trying to find that happy medium, medium of the ebb and flow yeah. of like businesses like that. And I think the, the big thing too, is without saying, even if you are going to outsource yourself a little bit just like piercings and things like that, you are guaranteeing what you do. And if it doesn't meet your standards, it's not going to leave and it's not going to product. Exactly. And then like with the gold teeth, I've done more outsourcing with that than anything. It's more so I look at gold teeth as more of my day job so that I can keep making body jewelry because it's gotten so popular for me. And I just, I ended up meeting a little dental tech guy that's heavily tattooed and stuff and really likes the industry and stuff. And he had been following me on Facebook or not Facebook, but Instagram. And he was like, Hey, if you ever need anybody that can do wax ups and stuff like that, or any dental lab work. And at the time I was like doing like one or two sets of teeth a week. And now I'm doing like 30 or 40 or more, just depending on what the month is like. And so I just go by his apartment, drop off a bunch of plasters and he'll do all the wax up. And then I pick, take those and go to casting and everything. And then from there I've figured out ways to like streamline. I'm using a uh, magnetic tumblers and centrifugal polishing machines to lessen a lot of the finishing work on my end to try to make things faster. So going actually off of that, I would like to take a moment to talk about the current trends that we're seeing in gold body jewelry that are starting to make make some waves. Mm -hmm. And you already talked about it a little bit, but so you are extremely well known for making gold teeth. Yes. And not only are you well known for making just gold teeth, gold teeth that are pretty crazy. They have opals in some of them. They have gems in the other ones. Go ahead and explain to us what you're kind of doing from start to finish in that for those who don't understand how that's made. Okay, so gold teeth, I've had a lot of learning curves and and issues and failures and triumphs with figuring out how to make gold teeth because I had always wanted some. And one day I decided, oh, wait, I could totally figure out how to do this. I have the tooling. I can, I've got this. And so I made myself a set of teeth. And then from there, more and more people were hitting me up, wanting to buy it. And I said, all right, cool. I'll start making gold teeth for people. And then ran into issues along the way, like figuring out that there's a shrinkage and expansion rates that you need to compensate for. But we'll touch on that a little more. Okay. So basically, if you're wanting a set of gold teeth, the first thing we'd have to do is take a, a dental bite impression off of you. And from that, once we've done that, I can make a plaster model of your actual teeth. So once I have the plaster model, um, we have to prep it a specific way, which 
to prep it, there's a little line right where the gum and tooth meet. And you actually have to carve out a little recess right under that line to follow like the curvature of your actual tooth that is hidden by the gum line because the teeth click in right into there. And once that's carved and prepped and everything, then we have to do what's called the wax up or we'll take a specific style of wax and build up directly on top of the teeth, thin layer of wax of on average, it's around for a plain gold tooth, it's around 0.45 to 0.5 millimeters thick because you don't want something too thick. You don't want something too thin because the issue is with too thin is it's not going to last forever. You'll eventually like chew holes in it if you grind your teeth like I do. Um, but if it's too thick, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to feel heavy on the mouth because with uh, removables, they don't have the same manufacturing process as a permanent gold tooth would. With a permanent gold tooth, they're actually going to shave down your actual tooth or completely remove it to put the cap in or the solid gold slug there. And when they do that, it actually matches your bite pattern. It doesn't displace your jaw. It's not a little bit thicker than your actual tooth. So it doesn't like um, when you're eating and stuff, it actually works with your mouth as opposed with a removable cap. You, if you try to eat with one and you're going to just rock your lower teeth on it, it's going to be hideously uncomfortable, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And then, so we try to keep the wax up for just like a basic plain tooth as thin as possible to where it's going to work and last and be as comfortable as possible. When we're doing stuff like stone setting, that's when you start getting into teeth where they're sometimes uh, like with princess cuts and sometimes with larger pave stones, they'll be up to three millimeters thick. So after the wax up is done, then it gets taken off the uh, plaster model and is actually cast in gold. And then from there, finished, polish, make sure the fit and everything is correct and then shift off to you. It's that's awesome. It's a simple, it's a relatively simple process once you figure out how to do it. And that's when I first started learning with it was uh, learning about expansion rates and such. So the, um, the mold that we take has a shrinkage rate. So after a certain amount of time, the mold is completely useless. If you're using some materials, some have longer stability time. The material I'm using currently is stable for nine days. After that, if I pour mold off of it, it won't fit your teeth at all because it is shrank too much. But it's got a standard shrinkage rate that's going to happen regardless after you take it out the uh, person's mouth, you actually have to use a plaster that has an expansion rate that compensates appropriately for the shrinkage rate. Didn't know that. Nobody tells you that these things when you're first like learning some things. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, I ended up taking a shitload of impressions off people at conference one year and nobody's teeth fit because I had no idea about that expansion rate. I also had no idea about the shrinkage rate of the molds once they've been taken and especially how to store them properly after you've taken an impression. You're supposed to refrigerate them and wrap them in a wet paper towel and all this other crazy shit. I had no idea about, so I just literally threw them in my hotel room in Vegas for a week and was like, ah, yeah, cool. Get back to LA and then find out, oh, why, why, why are these, where, why are all these issues? And then that's when I started going from trying to talk to people that made grills and gold teeth professionally for advice to talking to dental and lab technicians for advice because I noticed that with the grill makers and people that make gold teeth, they're not really open to sharing of information. And once I like got to a point where I'm confident in my technique and everything and like got more figured out with how it's done, it's because it's super fucking easy to do. That's why they don't want to tell you how to do it. <laughs> it cracks me up because this whole time you're like, all this stuff is super easy and my mind is just rolling around in its skull like I could not and would not 
figure that out or deal with that because that's just like something i wouldn't want to do oh yeah well that's like it's easy if you have the right the knowledge base like once i learned the expansion rate and all that stuff and basically if someone was to sit you down and be like buy this buy this buy this do this do it in these steps you might run into hiccups every now and then but you're pretty much set like that's all you really need and then with uh asking advice of people that make gold teeth like there were some that would give you advice that was awful and some that wouldn't want to talk to me at all. And then I was like, why don't I like actually start talking to dental technicians? <laughs> they don't give a shit. So I started talking to dental technicians more and more. And that's why I found out about the expansion in shrinkage rates. And because they were coming at it from a medical perspective and they were more open to talk to me about it because they thought it was cool because I had the pier- body piercing background. And so I had like some basic oral anatomy knowledge already. So they'd throw up some big word and I'd be like, oh yeah. And I'd reply with something They're like, oh cool, you're not an idiot. And <laughs> eventually ended up meeting a guy that made gold teeth that was actually really helpful. And when I first started talking to him, I was like, hey man, I know people don't really like to give advice or help, but I keep running into fitment issues with uh, larger sets. And that's when I found out that there's actually a different investment material for casting that you should use with doing gold teeth because it helps uh, keeping the teeth from expanding while they're being cast. That was another expansion rate that's thrown into the mix as well. But um, the problem there is dental techs don't do any of the casting that's done in a different side of the lab. And I wasn't talking to anyone in that side of the lab. And so this guy gave me a lot of advice. And his first thing when I asked him, he was like, hey, man, there's plenty of money out there for all of us, which is how I kind of look at it. I'll teach anybody how to make anything that I do because there is. There's plenty of money out there. There's no reason to be a dick. If someone's really eager to learn, like I have a guy coming down from Canada in a few months that's going to hang out in my workshop and um, wants to learn more about how to make gold teeth. He's an established jeweler up there and he's like, Oh yeah, I want to come down and learn from you and I'll help you in your workshop for, for the whole time I'm there in exchange. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, this dude's going to get to LA thinking he's coming to an actual like warehouse workshop. And I'm really just in my living room with three workbenches and a hairless cat. We've touched down on this in previous episodes of the podcast too. When it comes to like piercing, it's like you're going to go shadow people watch them work because it overall it's going to help out everyone in the industry because if this person is very good at piercings or those piercings get popular there it can translate to being popular where you are or if like gold teeth are the next new craze or let's say something there's some crazy new thing that pops up that guy knows how to do it he'd be able to help you out with that too so i i feel you know exactly what you're saying there's enough out there for everyone to to feed themselves but no one to become a pig you know exactly as long as everyone's cool with each other everything can work out by just sharing knowledge that's like i've had people ask me how to do the uh, opal inlay I'm doing on the teeth which is fun and something i kind of came up with on my own and i'll freely tell anyone how the hell to do it what materials there are <laughs> involved everything because my mindset is like if there's two people doing this they're going to run into the same problems with replicating some colors that i am but what if they figure out how to fix that problem and i'm still sitting here stumped as long and they can can help me trade that knowledge back and that everyone can put out a better product. Right. Many hands make light work. Exactly. Because white opal was the nightmare to figure out, but I finally got that one done. Well, I've seen it in person and I'm, I'm not going to lie. It is pretty amazing. When I saw that you could put opals in teeth, I was just like, this is a thing. Going to see it a lot, I think. Oh, yeah. The main issue was like when I first started doing it, I wanted to try to do natural opals, but a lot of uh, natural opal opals are hydrophane uh a lot of opals are naturally hydrophane and they will soak up moisture 
and it will destroy them. So there was like, can't use a lot of natural opals for this. B, finding someone to cut them to actually fit and work is going to be a nightmare in and of itself and just make them vastly more expensive than they should be. And then that's why I was like, oh, wait, this uh, technique I came up with forever ago to just crush synthetic opal and mix with dental acrylic and pour it into place because it basically essentially makes like a liquid synthetic opal that you can just pour. And then once it oh, wow. cures, you can uh, polish and sand it the same as you would like a synthetic opal in the beginning. That's right. I would have never thought that that was how you did it. Yep. No, that's cool. With teeth being a current trend, are there any other trends that you see that you think are going to gain a little bit of traction in the body jewelry industry right now? Definitely. I love seeing all this chain stuff. I'm really into it. I remember the first, the first person I saw with it was uh, Chelsea at Piercer, Pierce's at Iris, and she had it on her eye nostrils. And I was like, oh, I got to go get some chain. I'm throwing one of these on my bridge piercing. This is cool as shit. And now everyone's got it. And I think it's awesome. I'm really not sure where things are going to go. Like I see more and more people pushing natural gems these days. And I'm super incredibly into that because I would love to move away from using cubic zirconias and synthetic stones altogether and just use diamonds and natural stones. Yeah, I'm uh I'm super fond of rough cut stones. Oh man, that stuff that um Alan at Origins Handmaids is doing is so cool. I'm in love with his work. Yeah, so hopefully in an upcoming episode, I'm going to sit with Alan because he's only about two hours from me with Derek and uh, Nick Fox at Bella. And it's always funny. I went and I saw them the day before conference and I was like, hey, guys, how's it going? And Alan walks around the corner covered in dust. He's like, I'm just pumping stuff out. He was like, I think this is the last piece that I'm bringing. So I actually got to see all those pieces before conference. So I got to like hold them up in natural light, take a peek at them and everything. And they're just their breath taking it's so cool and he's done something that i've never really seen in the fine jewelry world which i'm really just waiting to see someone in that world come across it and start like dabbling with it for fine jewelry but he's making doublets which um if you're not familiar with what a doublet is okay so a doublet is when they'll take like a thin piece of one stone and put like an optically clear stone above it and back in the day it was more so a really crappy (laughs) crappy thing how doublets came about is they were usually used and sold as either a cheaper option but more often than not doublets were sold as fakes they would take like they would cut like the top faceted portion of like a round cut stone like say a ruby and then they would cut that just do the top facet portions in ruby and then they would cut optically clear quartz into the bottom half cement the two together and it would look to the untrained eye and if it was really well done you'd have to do some little tests on it to see and by putting it in oil and such you would look at the stone and it would look like a full massive ruby a lot of times they were sold to just trick people and they do it a lot with opals too they'll use like a thin layer of opal and put like a doublet uh, a layer of optically clear quartz over it and stuff like that but he's doing something which is fucking neat and he's doing taking like uh he'll have an opal and then he'll use like a crystal point off of like rutilated quartz or uh, just regular quartz and do that as the top layer over it and it just it's creating a material that doesn't exist it's like so 
fucking neat to me. Like that's that's one of those ideas. I'm like, damn, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> it was funny because right before conference, you know, you're saving up all your. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, can you do one of these rough cut, maybe black tourmaline with gold around the base? Yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, because they're just so breathtaking. It's like, I just love it because it's also a take with body jewelry that nobody's really been, none of the companies I've seen really go for doing stuff that is very, very different from what we're used to. And I kind of, sometimes I feel like body jewelry is behind in like fashion trends or gold body jewelry at least because with with steel and titanium you're so limited but an adamant does a great job of pulling shit out that i'm just like i never thought about doing something that cool with steel but um yeah i just feel like a lot of times design wise we're just behind like alan's stuff reminds me of this uh jewelry designer that's actually started in uh venice beach this guy named todd reed and he's pretty much one of the people you can thank for like industrial, like heavily included diamonds being so popular and stuff. And this guy just makes this raw, just crazy looking stuff that for years people would have said has no value, but is actually still is now got a collector market and is trendy as hell and people will spend money on it. And it does have value. It's just not what people would consider convey what I'm trying to say, but yeah, Alan's doing like beauty is in the eye. Exactly. It's just like raw. It's natural. It's so cool. And it's really neat to see someone bringing that style into body jewelry. Cause I think a lot of shop owners will probably like walk by and look and be like, Oh, this is neat, but I don't think I can sell it. But there's fine jewelers that are doing similar stuff and selling it for more money than we could ever imagine selling those same pieces for. Cause that was one thing I learned with working with fine jewelry is that uh, our markups are drastically low in comparison in that industry. Uh, on average, a lot of fine jewelry boutiques will mark up anywhere to five to 6.5 times from what they're getting wholesale. Right. And they sell the same stuff. And we would sell, like, on average, like, we'd sell most shops I do believe do three to four times markup, I hope. And they would take the same stuff that we're selling and sell it for astronomically more. Like I have a friend that's a couture jeweler and I've shown him pictures of my stuff. I've shown him pictures of like other gold body jewelry's companies stuff. And he's like, Oh, how much is he selling this for? I can't remember, I can't remember which clicker it was from uh, BBLA. He was like, Oh, how much is this? He's running. I'm like, Oh, it runs about this much. He's like, Oh, I'd sell it for like about six times more than that. I'm like, that is insane. I think it's a thing that will come naturally with time as in the last, what, like five years, gold has exploded in our market. Oh, yeah. And I think a lot of shops are now starting to not become piercing businesses that sell jewelry, but actually jewelry stores that also do piercings. Yeah. And I think I think a lot of the higher-end shops are starting to convey that. And, I mean, I've worked in numerous shops across the country, and I'll have clients come in, and I'm like, yeah, this is $1,500, and they don't even bat an eye. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's perfect. I'm yeah, like, great. Cool. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I, I think it will come with time. Yeah. But it's just bit by bit and step by step. So just gradually. Well, and then a lot too, like a lot of the higher market doesn't even know we exist for the most part. Like the thing that I constantly hear from still being it, I still stay relatively involved with just tra- the traditional jewelry world because I've gotten a lot of good connections for things I need from it. Mm-hmm. And the mindset tends to be from a lot of these people is that, oh, body jewelry that's just something you buy off of a cart in venice beach i'm like no there's far better and higher quality stuff out there 
like I know this girl that works, she does all the management at one of the gym dealers I use. And she's wearing all designer fashion all day, selling $100,000 gemstones all the time. And she gets her ears pierced. It's like she, like I've since meeting her been like, what are you doing? But like, I remember when I met her, she had like a nostril piercing that was bothering her. And at the time I still had a lot more piercings in my face. So she asked if I had any advice. And I was like, oh, where'd you get it done? And she was like, oh, yeah, I got it done at some hole in the wall shop in, the, in like Vista Del Mar or some shit. And I was like, oh my God, you make more money than you know what to do with. And you're getting pierced at hole in the wall shops. Like you, people need to actually research and realize that there's good stuff out there. Yeah. And I think we're, we're doing a pretty decent job at informing our customer base with a lot of places, you know, seeing all of this really rad jewelry. They're starting to pop up in social media more. Oh, yeah. They're starting to be in, you know, like who, who was it? Beyonce wore like that whole big set. Oh, yeah, she wore um, all, all Maya inspired designs. So I think all that stuff is going to pop up because you know that a lot of people after they saw that were like, wow, her outfit was killer, but maybe they didn't know exactly where it was from. So I think we're making those jumps and leaps and bounds into that becoming a, a thing in our industry. Oh yeah. And we're in the, in the high fashion world, you're seeing more of it too. Like you can't like, you'll see septum piercings on models in Vogue now, which is just awesome. And then also to a lot of designers like runway shows and collections you're seeing more piercings on models and stuff being used. I think uh, one of Dior's recent collections, pretty much all their models had septum piercings for the runway, all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's like really starting to trickle down from there to be people seeing it and being like, oh, I want that too. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So, Mike, uh, what we do at the end of uh, every episode is I like to pick if one or maybe two of the questions that our listeners have sent in to us that you'd be really good at answering. I got this question asked to me by a fellow piercer recently. I responded to him privately. I would love to hear your response to this. And he asked me, recently I purchased a pair of ornate gold-plated jewelry. After purchasing the jewelry, I wore them a handful of times and noticed that the plating was starting to rub off where it touched my face and also where my ears rubbed against it. Is this normal? What can I do to prevent it? What do you think? I know this is probably going to be a little bit of a touchy thing considering that you deal with solid gold, but... What are your opinions on plating, especially when it comes to wearing the the jewelry that is in a lot of contact with with our skin? Hmm. I actually am not a. I don't have a problem with plating at all. It's the problems that I mainly see with plating is that it's not the most a hundred percent method of doing things like even like i eventually would like to do some more like ear weights and stuff like that and i would definitely end up plating them because i don't want to do brass but uh, the issues with plating i see a lot of times are more so a quality plating job is very expensive even on a manufacturing end to where it's not practical like to then wholesale a piece at an affordable price you're just coating it with heavier and heavier gold right Mm -hmm. thicker layers like uh right thicker micron layers and the thicker the micron layer you run into other problems too it can actually like chip and peel which is kind which is an issue too but you don't see it happen as easily especially with like stationary pieces like if you were to like take like a steel seam ring and do like a heavy, heavy, like bulletproof gold plating on it, twisting it open and closed and cause that plating to actually start cracking and peeling off, which is not good either. But if it's like a stationary piece, like an eyelet, the heavier plating chipping and peeling isn't going to be as much of an issue because it's not getting as much traction to it. Thinner layers of plating are of course 
a lot cheaper to do manufacturing wise, but also can be affected by um, your body chemistry a lot more heavily because it's thinner. Also atmospheric qualities, like if you're in like super humid or like salty air and stuff like that, it can actually affect how well the plating lasts. So like you see like an old car from the fifties that's in Florida and like the chrome's like starting to get real pitted a lot. It's all has to do with the uh, salt in the air the biggest issue though is definitely going to be the friction of it rubbing on your skin because the plated metal is going to have the same working properties of actual gold and gold does abrade very well and does rub down over time but if you're dealing with a micron layer thickness that's super duper thin it's not going to take any time at all it'll start wearing down and then the best option to be to prevent it would be get it replated like i'm most all companies i'm sure will replate their stuff i know buddha will or uh, diablo will replate i'm pretty sure buddha will i think everyone does will goods i don't see any reason why they they wouldn't yeah the biggest thing i would say is just replate them and the best because there's also if the plating batch got contaminated there's a lot of issues that can go into there and what do you mean by it being contaminated um sometimes i don't really understand a lot of things with plating. like i have books on it and i've read a lot on it and i mainly just rely on trusted companies that for plating uh different like contaminants like detergents like soap or cleaners or polish material oh gotcha into, gotcha. The, into the bath and contaminate it affect how well it sticks that's why um when they plate a material it usually gets a couple different layers of things beforehand and this is going to be real horrifying for piercers but uh, a lot of stuff that is plated is hit with straight nickel first so that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it gets a flash plating of, well, I'm not sure. Maybe actually, this is actually a good thing to think about. I never thought about it myself, but maybe with uh, body jewelry companies running into issues with plating is they're not doing like a flash layer of nickel before they plate it with uh, gold first because the uh, gold plating will adhere to the nickel better. And oh, okay. Maybe they're not. That's actually something I've never thought about. That could explain why a lot of times you'll see like plated eyelets and stuff not lasting as long. But with fine jewelry, a lot of times it'll get blasted with a layer of just straight nickel plating. It's really thin. I think it's like, if I remember correctly, I think it's like uh, less than a micron thick of nickel. And then it'll do another plating layer of gold on top of it. I mean, that makes logical sense. I think it's really great to have you on to tell us about these things because I don't think a lot of piercers even know how things are plated like maybe a lot of them are just thinking that you like you know dip it like you're making a candle who who knows kind it kind of is like that it's just like several different chemical baths because it has to get cleaned say i take a piece of jewelry to get plated it's going to get hand polished by me and everything beforehand but when i take it to them they're going to polish it and everything again and they work with like a laboratory precision like any fingerprints or oils or anything will contaminate the batch or make the plating not stick in that area so they have to redo it and then they clean it in an acid and then they do the nickel bath and then they'll go on to plating from there and when you're dealing with like really high quality plating once it's done they actually use a uh, machine that x-rays and finds out how thick the plating is and those are the a lot of times when i get things plated i use companies i use a company in new york and i use a company in la and both of them can guarantee a plating thickness of whatever thickness you want and when you get pick up your stuff there's a little x-ray paperwork and everything showing how thick it is and you can pretty much rest assured that it isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon probably oh, wow. Rose gold plating, a lot of companies don't like to mess with anymore. The 
the only times I'll use rose gold plating, I use a company in New York for it because they're one of the few that I know that still do it. A lot of people do it. They still will replate their work if it wears unusually fast. But a lot of places won't even guarantee it. Like the plater I use in LA, every time I've done anything in rose gold, rose gold, they're like, okay, well, we don't have any <laughs> any guarantees on our on our rose gold plating anymore because the copper content. And a lot of times it will fade faster because of that. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm. I do see it a lot more often with rose gold pieces as opposed to yellow gold, mm-hmm. but. But obviously, we know because rose gold has different stuff in it than actual gold or yellow gold, so it's understandable. Yeah, I've I've seen rose gold pieces fade in the case. I've seen them just like I've seen them work well for numerous years, and then I've seen rose gold that platings that have just literally wore off just sitting there being exposed to oxygen. But with how good PVD is getting these days, I think it's like a better option, like a. The rose gold pl- uh, PVD on uh, Tether's work is bulletproof. I love it. I've been wearing one of their pieces uh, in my septum for uh, behind a BVLA piece for, I don't know, I want to say last conference. I bought mm-hmm. it and I threw it in there. Not a single problem with it so far. Nice. I wonder what would be cool to look at. Is, oh, there's not a lot of motion in that area, but I wonder how well it's like what the kind of wear it's putting on the gold piece in front of it since the steel is harder. I check it quite a bit. And I really don't see, you know, from from my unprofessional jeweler eye, like I don't really <laughs> see a lot of irritation there. But, you know, I thought that maybe, you know, I have a fancy mustache and I use a lot of like beard oils and I use a lot of different mustache wax that has like different materials and oils in it. Mm-hmm. And I still haven't seen anything against it, which is just really That's super it. surprising and just shows the quality of work there. Yeah, well, I don't, I, I don't know how well QVD but a lot of times like oils and stuff getting on gold will help keep it from tarnishing. Just like the big thing with like silver, like have you ever, have, do you have any silver jewelry, like any rings or anything? No, but when I was a kid, you know, like you would have jewelry around the house that would be like that, that I think I wore like once or twice. And my body was like, Oh, we don't like this at all. Oh, like, okay. Well, yeah. I, I fortunate, <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to wear silver doesn't like react with my body chemistry at all. But, um, the oils from your skin when you're wearing like silver jewelry you'll notice that it doesn't really tarnish like the way that it would if it's sitting on a shelf when silver is just sitting and gets that blacky brown blue color right to it, that's because it's not actually getting the oils from your skin which are keeping oxygen from affecting it and causing it to uh, oxidize that's crazy like and it, it is so surprising too how some people can wear plated things and have no issues with it and then other people can wear plated things and it just their body like just munches it right up just oh, eats man, it right up crazy. rose gold plating usually wears out pretty fast on me and uh black rhodium wears out really fast on me as well but uh black ruthenium actually holds up just fine for me yeah i think it's one of those things that you just have to like try and see what works for you and unfortunately, sometimes it's an expensive, you know, it's an expensive test, but yeah. you'll find out what works and what doesn't. I'm interested to see more, a lot more stuff being done with like nano ceramic and PVD now that the technology is getting a lot better. Because nano ceramic can do some really cool stuff, like for plating option wise. You can do a lot of stuff. I've done a couple, a little bit of experimenting with nano ceramic on teeth, like being able to do like neon, like blue chrome teeth and shit like that. That's crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just, it's still got its issues to work out with teeth because since it's a type of coating that like it chips and peels. So instead of just like 
fading like a lot of thinner gold plating they'll do. So it's it's got some experimentation to go before I actually start doing more with it. I do think it is interesting, and you know, it's showing that step forward that here's something new that's to the market. Yep, just got to take it one day at a time, and the technology is just going to get better as time goes on too. I just have to say, Mike, thanks so much for blowing my mind here with all of this different technical things when it comes to making jewelry and all these insider things that we would have never even thought about, especially when it comes to making jewelry or making new types of jewelry. And I mean, I've seen a few of the things that you have like coming down the line, especially with seam rings with the hidden diamonds in them and stuff like I, that. So that, that, that I just did because I was bored at like three in the morning making them and then forgot that I even did it until someone, until uh, somebody posted a picture and they're like, there's a stone set inside the seam. Giving me a microscope was a terrible idea because <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to do more ridiculous stuff like that. Those are like the hidden charms that you have, especially that makes me want to buy more things from you so that I can see maybe I'll get one of those like quote unquote limited edition things, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. Mike is very tired. That is going to be a bulk of my work. But the next release of stuff I'm doing, I'm actually going to be uh, doing one of my first full on limited designs. There's only going to be 150 of them made and each one will be actually numbered hidden on the back and like, oh, wow. inscribed. And so after those are made, that's it. That's only it. 150 of them. Right. And for those people that are listening, what's the best way to follow you and find out about, you know, that design and also all the other designs that you're coming out with in the future? Um, my Instagram is the best place to find me. It's just uh, at stay at home jeweler. And from there, you can find my Facebook and stuff. But Instagram is usually the easiest way to find my work because I just post on there a lot. So I'll make sure that I add that into our show notes uh, okay. for this week's episode. But once again, Mike, I just want to thank you so much for taking a little bit of time talking to us about this. And uh, hopefully we'll see some rad, exciting new things from you in the future definitely going to try to put out some more crazy stuff and keep making it weirder and weirder. So Mike, uh, what we do at the end of uh, every episode is I like to pick up one or maybe two of the questions that our listeners have sent in to us that you'd be really good at answering. I got this question asked to me by a fellow piercer recently. I responded to him privately. I would love to hear your response to this. Okay. And he asked me, recently I purchased a pair of ornate gold-plated jewelry. After purchasing the jewelry, I wore them a handful of times and noticed that the plating was starting to rub off where it touched my face and also where my ears rubbed against it. Is this normal? What can I do to prevent it? What do you think? I know this is probably going to be a little bit of a touchy thing considering that you deal with solid gold, but... What are your opinions on plating, especially when it comes to wearing the, the jewelry that is in a lot of contact with, with our skin? Hmm. I actually am not a, I don't have a problem with plating at all. It's the problems that I mainly see with plating is that it's not the most a hundred percent method of doing things. Like even like I eventually would like to do some more like ear weights and stuff like that. And I would definitely end up plating them because I don't want to do brass, but uh, the issues with plating I see a lot of times are more so a quality plating job is very expensive, even on a manufacturing end to where it's 
not practical like to then wholesale a piece at an affordable price you're just coating it with heavier and heavier gold right mm-hmm. thicker layers like uh right thicker micron layers and the thicker the micron layer you run into other problems too it can actually like chip and peel which is kind which is an issue too but you don't see it happen as easily especially with like stationary pieces like if you were to like take like a steel seam ring and do like a heavy, heavy, like bulletproof gold plating on it, twisting it open and close and cause that plating to actually start cracking and peeling off, which is not good either. But if it's like a stationary piece, like an eyelet, the heavier plating chipping and peeling isn't going to be as much of an issue because it's not getting as much traction to it. Thinner layers of plating are of course a lot cheaper to do manufacturing wise, but also can be affected by um, your body chemistry a lot more heavily because it's thinner. Also atmospheric qualities, like if you're in like super humid or like salty air and stuff like that, it can actually affect how well the plating lasts. So like you see like an old car from the 50s that's in Florida and like the chrome's like starting to get real pitted a lot. It's all has to do with the uh, salt in the air the biggest issue though is definitely going to be the friction of it rubbing on your skin because the plated metal is going to have the same working properties of actual gold and gold does abrade very well and does rub down over time but if you're dealing with a micron layer thickness that's super duper thin it's not going to take any time at all it'll start wearing down and then the best option to be to prevent it would be get it replated like i'm most all companies i'm sure will replate their stuff i know buddha will or uh, diablo will replate i'm pretty sure buddha will i think everyone does will goods i don't see any reason why they they wouldn't yeah the biggest thing i would say is just replate them and the best because there's also if the plating batch got contaminated there's a lot of issues that can go into there and what do you mean by it being contaminated um sometimes i don't really understand a lot of things with plating. like i have books on it and i've read a lot on it and i mainly just rely on trusted companies that for plating uh different like contaminants like detergents like soap or cleaners or polish material oh gotcha into the the bath and contaminate it affect how well it sticks that's why um when they plate a material it usually gets a couple different layers of things beforehand and this is going to be real horrifying for piercers but uh, a lot of stuff that is plated is hit with straight nickel first so that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it gets a flash plating of, well, I'm not sure. Maybe actually, this is actually a good thing to think about. I never thought about it myself, but maybe with uh, body jewelry companies running into issues with plating is they're not doing like a flash layer of nickel before they plate it with uh, gold first because the uh, gold plating will adhere to the nickel better. And oh, okay. Maybe they're not. That's actually something I've never thought about. That could explain why a lot of times you'll see like plated eyelets and stuff not lasting as long. But with fine jewelry, a lot of times it'll get blasted with a layer of just straight nickel plating. It's really thin. I think it's like, if I remember correctly, I think it's like uh, less than a micron thick of nickel. And then it'll do another plating layer of gold on top of it. I mean, that makes logical sense. I think it's really great to have you on to tell us about these things because I don't think a lot of piercers even know how things are plated like maybe a lot of them are just thinking that you like you know dip it like you're making a candle who who knows it kind of it kind of is like that it's just like several different chemical baths 
because it has to get cleaned. Say I take a piece of jewelry to get plated, it's going to get hand polished by me and everything beforehand. But when I take it to them, they're going to polish it and everything again. And they work with like laboratory precision, like any fingerprints or oils or anything will contaminate the batch or make the plating not stick in that area. So they have to redo it and then they clean it in an acid and then they do the nickel bath and then they'll go on to plating from there. And when you're dealing with like really high quality plating, once it's done, they actually use a uh, machine that x-rays and finds out how thick the plating is. And those are the, a lot of times when I get things plated, I use companies, I use a company in New York and I use a company in LA and both of them can guarantee a plating thickness of whatever thickness you want. And when you get, pick up your stuff, there's a little x-ray paperwork and everything showing how thick it is. And you can pretty much rest assured that it isn't going to go anywhere anytime soon. Probably oh, wow. rose gold plating. A lot of companies don't like to mess with anymore. The the only times I'll use rose gold plating, I use a company in New York for it because they're one of the few that I know that still do it. A lot of people do it. They still will replate their work if it wears unusually fast. But a lot of places won't even guarantee it. Like the plater I use in LA, every time I've done anything in rose gold, rose gold, they're like, okay, well, we don't have any any guarantees on our on our rose gold plating anymore because the copper content and a lot of times it will fade faster because of that gotcha yeah i'm i do see it a lot more often with rose gold pieces as opposed to yellow gold mm-hmm. but but obviously we know because rose gold has different stuff in it than actual gold or yellow gold so it's understandable yeah i've, I've seen rose gold pieces fade in the case i've seen um just like I've seen them work well for numerous years, and then I've seen rose gold that platings that have just literally wore off just sitting there being exposed to oxygen. But with how good PVD is getting these days, I think it's like a better option. Like uh, the rose gold pl- uh, PVD on uh, Tether's work is bulletproof. I love it. I've been wearing one of their pieces uh, in my septum for uh, behind a BVLA piece for... I don't know. I want to say last conference I bought mm-hmm. it and I threw it in there. Not a single problem with it so far. Nice. I wonder what would be cool to look at. Is, oh, there's not a lot of motion in that area, but I wonder how well it's like what the kind of wear it's putting on the gold piece in front of it since the steel is harder. I check it quite a bit and I really don't see, you know, from from my unprofessional jeweler eye like i don't really see a lot of irritation there but you know i thought that maybe you know i have a fancy mustache and i use a lot of like beard oils and i use a lot of different mustache wax that has like different materials and oils in it Mm -hmm. and i still haven't seen anything against it which is just really super surprising and just shows the quality of work there yeah well i I don't know how well qvd but a lot of times like oils and stuff getting on gold will help keep it from tarnishing just like the big thing with like silver, like have you ever, have, do you have any silver jewelry, like any rings or anything? No, but when I was a kid, you know, like you would have jewelry around the house that would be like that, that I think I wore like once or twice. And my body was like, oh, we don't like this at all. Oh, like, okay. Well, yeah. I, I'm fortunate, <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to wear silver doesn't like react with my body chemistry at all. But um, the oils from your skin, when you're wearing like silver jewelry, you'll notice that it doesn't really tarnish like the way that it would if it's sitting on a shelf when silver is just sitting and gets that blacky brown blue color right that's because it's not actually getting the oils from your skin which are keeping oxygen from affecting it and causing it to uh, oxidize 
That's crazy. Like, and it, it is so surprising, too, how some people can wear plated things and have no issues with it. And then other people can wear plated things and it just their body like just munches it right up. Just oh, eats man, it right up. Crazy. Rose gold plating usually wears out pretty fast on me and uh, black rhodium wears out really fast on me as well. But uh, black ruthenium actually holds up just fine for me. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that you just have to like try and see what works for you. And unfortunately, sometimes it's an expensive, you know, it's an expensive test, but you'll find out what works and what doesn't. I'm interested to see more, a lot more stuff being done with like nano ceramic and PVD now that the technology is getting a lot better. Because nano ceramic can do some really cool stuff, like for plating option wise, you can do a lot of stuff. I've done a couple, a little bit of experimenting with nano ceramic on teeth, like being able to do like neon, like blue chrome teeth and shit like that. That's crazy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just, it's still got its issues to work out with teeth because since it's a type of coating that like it chips and peels. So instead of just like fading like a lot of thinner gold plating they'll do so it's it's got some experimentation to go before i actually start doing more with it i do think it is interesting and you know it's showing that step forward that here's something new that's to the market yep just gotta take it one day at a time and the technology is just gonna get better as time goes on too i just have to say mike thanks so much for blowing my mind here with all of this different technical things when it comes to making jewelry and all these insider things that we would have never even thought about especially when it comes to making jewelry or making new types of jewelry. and i mean i've seen a few of the things that you have like coming down the line especially with seam rings with the hidden diamonds in them and stuff like I, that so that, that, that i just did because i was bored at like three in the morning making them and then forgot that i even did it until someone until uh somebody posted a picture and they're like there's a stone set inside the scene giving me a microscope was a terrible idea because <laughs> i'm just gonna <laughs> do more ridiculous stuff like that those are like the hidden charms that you have especially that makes me want to buy more things from you so that i can see maybe i'll get one of those like quote-unquote limited edition things aka mike is very tired that is gonna be a bulk of my work but the next release of stuff i'm doing i'm actually going to be uh doing one of my first full-on limited designs there's only going to be 150 of them made and each one will be actually numbered hidden on the back and oh wow inscribed and so after those are made that's it only 150 of them right and for those people that are listening, what's the best way to follow you and find out about, you know, that design and also all the other designs that you're coming out with in the future? Um, my Instagram is the best place to find me. It's just uh, at stay at home jeweler. And from there, you can find my Facebook and stuff. But Instagram is usually the easiest way to find my work because I just post on there a lot. So I'll make sure that I add that into our show notes uh, okay. for this week's episode. But once again, Mike, I just want to thank you so much for taking a little bit of time talking to us about this and uh hopefully we'll see some rad exciting new things from you in the future definitely gonna try to put out some more crazy stuff and keep making it weirder and weirder well folks as you can tell i am very excited with where the market is going and what amazing things are coming down the line in the future you can find Mike's information to follow him on social media and where to find his jewelry in this week's show notes. 
please make sure to take a moment and follow him to see all of his limited edition pieces. If you're looking to purchase some of his pieces and your local studio does not carry them, ask your piercer to give Mike a call and inquire about carrying other couture jewelry. I expect big things from him as time goes by. I would like to also take a moment to thank everyone for sending in your questions, reviewing us on iTunes and Google Play, subscribing, and your donations. But above all else, thank you for being the rad-empowered people that you are. And as always, don't forget, you are beautiful. To ask questions, suggest topics, or get more info about your host or today's guest, please visit us at realtalkpiercingpodcast.com. If you have a moment and enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast platform. The views and opinions expressed by the host and guest are their own and do not represent the official position of the Association of Professional Piercers or their places of employment. Music by Broke for Free. Music